All right. So glad to be together here in person in our live stream today. So the mark of being loved by the Father is confidence. The more you know the Father's love, the more confident you are. So I'm going to start off with three questions. How confident are you today of God's love? And his, has his love come into your life and changed the hard parts for good in your story? And are you living courageously for God? Hopefully, if you're a believer, you are confident of his love. And you know that he's done a transforming work in your life. And your focus is on him. And that brings you to a place of courage. So we all need to grow in our faith until we draw our last breath. And growing in our faith, um, growing in confidence, and this is, I want to clarify, it's God confidence. It's not necessarily self-confidence. And growing in our testimony and growing in our courage, we will all walk through crises in our faith that challenge us. And we all need a reminder of his deep, deep love. We all need a heavenly perspective of our life and to translate it through his eyes and we all need to rise up to the call for courage. Um, we know that our nation is in a crisis right now, and I believe that God is calling each one of us to maturity, to confidence, to redemption, and to courage, not only to grow personally for ourselves, but to change our nation and our world, to bring heaven to earth. I love Bill Johnson's understanding of God in the Easter egg. God hides himself to be found. A parent hides Easter eggs for a toddler right on the path, right? Right so they can see them, so they're easy to find. But older children, they hide the eggs in harder to find places to give them a challenge. But no matter what um, the age of the seekers are, the parent wants the eggs to be found. God wants you to find all of his eggs he has not hidden the eggs, his wisdom or his love for you to fail or for him to be mean. He wants you to discover all that he has for you. I'm going to tell three stories this morning, and we're going to see how deeply God's love loves us by looking into these three stories. And I challenge you to see how many eggs you can collect for your basket today. So story one is about confidence broken. One guy had it made. He had work and purpose. He lived in a luxurious place. He had a beautiful wife. He ate great food. He worked from home, so there was no bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. There were no taxes. And for better or for worse, since this place was quite remote, he had no neighbors to speak of. Life was pretty sweet for him for some time until a little incident happened Let's see what that was, and more importantly, why it happened. This dude was unique. He was like us except for one thing. He may not have had a belly button. Okay, you may have guessed. By now we are talking about the first man, Adam. Principle one, Father God made us with intention. Father God is intentional in creating life. He's not haphazard or random. We were made in his image with a unique set of fingerprints. 
Father God chose our birthday, our family of origin, the color of our eyes, the color of our hair, the color of our skin, the shape of our nose, and so forth. And he stays current with us. I don't know how he can do this, but he knows the number of hairs on all of our head. And for some of us, that changes all the time. <laughs> so anyway, I was an OB nurse for 11 years, and I witnessed many births. And no matter the circumstances of the birth, I believe each life was celebrated by God. Your birth was celebrated by God, and he celebrates you every day since. So every life is a miracle of the Father's intention. Principle two, God created us with identity and purpose. The name of the first man meant man made from the red earth. Genesis 1.26 reads, let us make man in our image. Continuing in Genesis, we read, and God blessed them and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Adam partnered with the father in naming all created animals and he was the chief gardener of Eden. From before we were born, God assigned us identity, and purpose. Principle three, Father God provides for our needs and our equipping. The Garden of Eden didn't need a grocery store, a clothing store, or a gas station, but it had all that Adam and Eve needed in abundance. There was no Safari computer search engine to look up Latin names for animals, to name the animals, or YouTube videos on how to garden. But God gave all that was needed as Jehovah Jireh, he provides for us as we trust him. Principle four, the father creates a place of belonging for each of us. Brand new parents are happy and scared all at the same time. First time parents, fingertip touch. They just use their fingertips to touch their infant at their first meeting. But second time parents, scoop up their newborn with their whole palms while welcoming their baby into their arms. So by design, babies have a grasping reflex to grab onto the finger of the nervous parent. Moms and babies bond through a hormone released in nursing. Belonging begins at birth and before. So besides food and shelter, children need affirmation throughout life um, they need to know that they're valued, appreciated, and loved. My husband and I volunteered in an all-day BBS outreach in an inner-city crack neighborhood last summer. Many parents only called their kids a string of curse words. There was no honor, no respect, no security at home. At the outreach, the children were valued and introduced to Christ. By the end of the week, they had soaked up so much love and belonging that over half of them asked to be baptized. So Adam had a place of belonging with God as they walked together in the cool of the day. Father God has a place of belonging for all of his believers in his family. Principle five, Father God protects us and provides boundaries for us. Dads are designed to be protectors. One role in protection is to establish a safe place framed by the boundaries, just like a fence around a house. In God's wisdom, though, 
He gave us choice, obey or not obey. There was blessing in keeping the boundary, but consequences for disregarding it. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. As the story goes, Adam and Eve talked to the wrong door-to-door salesman named Satan. He wanted to sell distrust, distrust of God to the couple. Satan twisted the father's words to reframe the boundary. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Apparently, Satan had been eavesdropping on an earlier conversation. Dutifully, Eve repeated God's words. Satan fabricated the first lie. He might have just said, hey, you guys, God's holding out on you, and he's not to be trusted. Then the boundary was crossed, and Adam and Eve bought a lie that day. Hear this, lies are very costly. Satan's chief aim is to get us off course. He will try to go for big ticket sins, such like adultery, stealing, killing. But if he has no success there, he'll just go for gossip or cheating a little bit on taxes. No matter what, it's all a crime against a holy God. A result of broken relationship with God is that it steals our confidence. So I just want to encourage you, do not lie to yourself. Guard your self-talk. Do not call yourself dumb. Don't call yourself ugly. Don't call yourself clumsy or whatever. Do not say stupid to yourself when you drop something or mess up. It is an insult to God when you put yourself down, whether as one of his created beings, whether it's yourself or someone else. I have learned to say, I'm human. Humans mess up. It's okay to remind yourself that you're human once in a while without putting yourself down. There is one pole in the church parking lot. You can go out and count them after you leave today. (laughs) My rear fender found it and made a quarter-sized tear as a souvenir of the mishap. I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to try to back into a pole today. I was reminded, I am human, and to be careful when I'm backing up. (laughs) So let's go back to the garden. How did Father God feel when Adam and Eve distrusted him? Was God sad? Was he disappointed? Was he angry? Did their actions hurt his heart? The Father's love for them, however, did not change that day. The first social distancing occurred as they were kicked out of the garden, and the place of intimate fellowship was now close to two people he dearly loved. Life is like a landing between two floors. To follow God, you can step up, but you can't see the whole staircase because it takes faith to believe God. To go down the steps, to believe lies, seems a little easier at the time, but in the long run, it's a whole lot scarier. The fruit of faith is blessing and greater confidence. The fruit of believing lies, such as God is holding out on me, I better do this or that to help myself, 
is emotional ups and downs, cycles of anger, or control, condemnation. It can be self-loathing, self-doubt, which is the opposite of com confidence. So anyway, shame entered the scene as a result of wrongdoing. God provided covering for the couple in form of animal skins. He was keenly aware of their turmoil and as a matter of fact, sought to help them. Like Adam and Eve, we make wrong choices. We can make messes of our lives. Sometimes it's little things, sometimes it's big. But our loving Father is waiting in the wings with animal skins to cover us. So I wonder if the most dangerous Christian is a hopeless one. Hopelessness is a dangerous place to live, much harder than faith. And if you're experiencing a measure of hopelessness, allow God to shine light on any lies and receive hope and healing from the Holy Spirit today. So don't, so don't <clears throat> excuse me, don't lie to yourself, but seek the Holy Spirit. Satan loves company, but you know what? We don't have to be his company. We want to be in the company of God. He want, Satan wants us to do the wrong thing and then to smear condemnation on our face and leave us there. The Holy Spirit is not so. The Holy Spirit will show us the way of truth, the way out of a mess, the way out of a situation. He will remind us of the goodness of God, and he always offers hope in no matter what situation we find ourselves in. God is our protector if we let him be. Our life will go best if we recognize and live within his boundaries of protection. Principle six, Father God looks to see a yes heart in us. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Who do you want on your support team? How would you like to have the most powerful influencer with endless resources of heaven on your side. I don't mean the prosperity gospel that gives you something um, in order to, that where you give something in order to receive. I mean, how would you like the best on your side? God is the best. One of my favorite verses is, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Adam's yes heart to God could have looked like this. God, I am struggling with a little bit of doubt here, but I choose you over this snake called Satan. I will ask your Holy Spirit to remind me who you are and help me obey with a whole heart. I know there is great reward in walking in your ways. You will never rob me or withhold any good thing from me. So I choose your path, even though I don't have complete understanding. So anyway, sat sadly, Adam chose the way of self instead of the way of trust. Many believers have yes hearts to God. They say yes because they realize they are loved. While loving God may cost something in the moment, it reaps a great reward in the future. A yes heart values the gift of Jesus. When God so loved the world, as stated in John 3.16, the Father gave us not just the minimal amount, not just the smallest thing he could give, as a sacrifice, he gave his own son. So Father gave us 
the very best to cover up our messes. And a yes heart realizes that although our yes can never match his best, it is worth trying. There is a huge blessing to saying yes to God and walk in his favor. Principle seven, a heart that trusts God takes risks for God. When you love someone, you are willing to take risks for that person because they are worthy. More of Christ, less of me. It is only when we're convinced of his love that we can lay down our reputation, our pride to step out of our box um, in order to trust him. That's where the adventure lies. Yoked with Jesus, we all walk alongside him, but he bears the greater load. He trusts us when we are inexperienced, when we are immature, when we're unsure, when we're uncomfortable, when we're uncertain. He knows that we are human, but yet he trusts us. And all he asks is that we choose him in return. So if we want to live a life with God confidence, we need to know that we're intentionally created by him and to be at peace in his design. And know that he's given us identity and purpose and to acknowledge his uh, provision and equipping. We receive his offer for belonging. We live under his protection and within his boundaries. And we develop a heart that says yes to God. And as a result of trust, we obey even when it takes a risk to follow him. So, friends, the more you know the Father's love, the more confident you are. Now, the mark of being loved by God is also a redeemed story. The more you know the Father's love, the more your story is redeemed. So in story two, it's the formation of a pearl. Many know my story. My father died when I was a baby, and when I was very young, I wanted to tell my father in heaven that I loved him. Although I pictured my father very happy in heaven, because I heard there were no tears there, I also thought there must have been one little tiny empty space in his heart to be filled with my love. So I tried to figure out how to get my message to heaven, since I realized the mailman couldn't get there. I remembered that I heard about the Holy Spirit being like a dove. I thought a dove could fly back and forth to heaven for me. I was so excited. That day I asked the Holy Spirit to tell my Father in heaven that I loved him. And I believe two fathers got that message that day. So I acknowledge that God intentionally created me, and I have two things from my earthly father. I have a name, and I have his wedding band. My father wanted to name me Susan, but he felt for some reason that Susan should have brown hair. Well, guess what? <laughs> I had blonde hair when I was a baby, so as you guessed, I wasn't named Susan. The funny thing was my hair turned brown as a toddler, and now not even my hairdresser knows my real color. <laughs> so anyway, my father named me the Hebrew name of Deborah, meaning busy like a bee and having eloquent speech. My middle name was Jean after my mother, and Jean means good news. My maiden name was Platter, which is a tray for serving food. My married name is Anderson, or son of man. All my names are motivational for me in my identity. Beyond my name, I have purpose. I have always rooted for the underdog, 
I seek to support my family, and I love to encourage and challenge others in faith. God has provided for me and my family in incredible ways. My mom had a bachelor's degree, but she didn't know how to drive when my dad died. She worked three jobs from home to support us until my older sister and I were school age. We ate eggs or pancakes or cream tuna on toast points or grilled cheese and tomato soup for dinner. It was rare to have chicken or beef. When I was young and it was near Christmas, my mom brought a brown box home from church. Since it sat next to me on the car seat, I was curious. I peeked inside the box, but I said nothing. I found the doll from the box and a few other things under the tree that Christmas morning. Mom never said if your dad was alive, you would be able to do this or have that. Well, I knew Donna Zimmerman in my class had a lot of pretty hair bows and pretty new dresses, and I only had a few hand-me-downs. My clothes were clean and pressed. By third grade, my mom had a, big, had a job in a big corporation. She invested in company stock every paycheck and ended up with more wealth than she realized. While I grew up, unlike today, the nuclear family was the only thing that you saw. It consisted of mom and dad and kids. In fourth grade, I was one of two students in my class without a dad. I learned to spell deceased early on because it had to go on the line where you put your father's name. In college, I worked at a camp for handicapped for three summers. I felt just like my campers. Some were deaf or blind, had Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, but you could not see my handicap. Mine was emotional. When I measured myself against my classmates, I didn't feel like I belonged. Sometimes it felt like being an emotional amputee. You see, you can have life, and you can live well with only three of your four limbs, but it takes endurance. Once I heard about a tribe in Africa whose custom was to kill the remaining family when the father died. Well, I found the practice horrific when I first heard of it, I strangely understood. I've never felt so suicidal, but you feel so vulnerable without a dad. So I wonder if we all have brokenness in our stories and a pearl story in the making. I did well in school and even skipped a grade. And in spite of being a little shy and socially awkward, I was a cheerleader in high school. At cheerleader camp, I heard testimonies about Christ on the ride home, I told God I was saying yes to him, even though I didn't know what it meant. I was drawn to Miami University, where God drew me to Christ. I, was, um, I attended a nightly prayer meeting before I was even a Christian. I was discipled and grew in understanding and realized that if one man kept to one woman, there would be no STDs. I learned that purity was the way to go. There would be no surprises with that. And I learned how to walk in his favor instead of the culture. I was used to being different than the culture, but I soaked up the belonging I felt by God and other believers. My email address includes Psalm 1-3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the seat 
nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And in whatever he does, he prospers. I learned that God has a place of favor when we obey. The fruit of obedience in my life um, there is fruit of obedience in my life, and there is still yet surrender yet to happen. So God showed me how he fathered me my, throughout my life. The kindness of a janitor or a pastor, the teaching of James Dobson or Dave Ramsey, the guys in my small group all filled missing pieces in my life, even a stranger fixing a tire on the road on the expressway. And instead of having dad, like eating from one one plate of food that was served to me, my fathering experience was like eating from a buffet. I learned to, to recognize a father moment. For example, I was about to leave a place called Trek for a five-hour drive by myself home, and an older man who was the director just spontaneously prayed for my safety on the road as I said goodbye. The Holy Spirit nudged me. This was a father moment. This was my father's heart my heavenly father's heart for me, and a tear rolled down my cheek. Like the story of making a pearl, he took the difficulty of fatherlessness and turned it into a pearl of great price. He is a father to the fatherless, so I learned that instead of my status being less than, it was actually more. So one day, I made a declaration. I'm well loved by God. <laughs> that is my God confidence. God does not do poor work. He does not abandon everything he does, he does well. So I can logically say, I am well loved by God, and then look for my experience to match that. I no longer have to wonder if he loves me on a cloudy day, or if I back into a single bowl <laughs> in a parking lot. <laughs> So I believe that God masterfully, intentionally takes everything hard in our lives to redeem it for good. I've been on bed rest for 12 weeks with pregnancy. I've been screamed at with curse words at a public meeting. I have experienced job discrimination in grad school. So each of these stories turned out for more good than imagined. So what in your life, what in my life still needs some pearl making? A few years ago, I took the School of Kingdom ministry known as SACM. Please take the class if you've not already done so. SACM helped me take risks. For a couple of years, I complained to God, why doesn't, do, why doesn't anybody do anything for the National Day of Prayer? I mean, what kind of imagination does it take to do something? So anyway, the Holy Spirit then asked me, why don't you do it? <laughs> I stopped complaining. <laughs> God birthed the Oxford Day of Prayer Breakfast in me. I invited city, 50 city leaders for a breakfast that I didn't know how it was getting funded. But God downloaded a plan. And Oxford Vineyard stepped up to support in many area churches. And this breakfast is a place where city leaders and church leaders come together for encouragement and prayer. COVID-19 canceled our third annual event. But instead of the event, I'm sending a call to prayer in an email to over 130 Christians to pray for our city on Mondays, and on Wednesdays, an encouragement email and leadership 
goes out to 70 city leaders. God has led me in blessed ways that I could never imagined. His love has led me to take risks. I fasted for a few meals every week for nearly 15 years for different things, for adoption, for salvation, to mend broken marriages, to heal the sick. There are too many stories to tell. Life with God is the greatest adventure. His love is my greatest treasure, and his love has beautified my life. In Psalm 23, 6, it says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy are like golden threads, and they shine the brightest when they're placed in the dark, between the darkest ones in our life. So the more you know the Father's love, the more your story is redeemed. And lastly, the mark of being loved by Father God is courage. The more you know his love, the more courage you possess. Story three, and I'll be short here, is the call to courage. Um, in closing, I want us to briefly look at how Jesus encountered the Father's love. The circumstances of his birth were sovereignly arranged. Jesus knew who he was and his purpose. Jesus knew God's provision. For example, the Magi most likely provided finances for his family to flee Egypt. He was equipped and taught by the Holy Spirit who took him to the wilderness, and Jesus experienced belonging with the Father and later his disciples. As we know, Jesus did have a yes heart to God. All the way through to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he asked the Father, could this cup be passed from me? And he waited. And then this is our strategy as well when we're facing a hardship. Just ask God and then wait. Wait because the Holy Spirit will speak to you every time. The Holy Spirit strengthened Jesus at that moment. And from then on, through the whole walk to the crucifixion itself, he had strength and he had purpose and he had strategy. He was determined to fulfill his mission. When you live a life of yes to God, no becomes out of place. One who firmly believes the goodness of God is beyond the grasp of lies and can act with courage. Jesus acted with great courage because he knew the Father's love and the joy set before him. I am an ordinary person, but I have been marked with an extraordinary love. I hope you and I both can say, I am well loved by God. So in summary, here are the eggs for our basket, three marks of the Father's love. The more you know the Father's love, the more confident you are. The more you know the Father's love, the more he redeems your story and brings understanding of his heavenly perspective to your life. And the more you know the Father's love, the more he will lead you to places of courage and he will meet you there. So I want us to stand for a minute and, and speak declaration. We're just going to say this, if you would do this with me. We're just going to say, I am well loved by God. So please stand. 
And the first time we say it, we're going to speak it to ourselves. So just say with me, I am well loved by God. Okay. Um, I am well loved by God. Okay, the second time we're going to say this to God. So we could say, instead of I am well loved by God, we could say, I am well loved by you, God. Okay, let's say this together. I am well loved by you, God. And the last time we say it, we're going to say it to the enemy of our soul. We all have things that we're battling, and we know there is a battle on the earth. So we're going to speak this declaration, I am well loved by God. This is our power. This is our superpower. There is importance in these words. Okay, let's say this to the enemy of our soul. I am well loved by God. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, the uh, worship team can come up, however. I'm just going to close with this prayer. Father, um, help us. Help us to know your love more deeply every day and know that the depths of your love have no limit. Lord, help us to see how we're growing in confidence in you by rejecting any lies that come into our mind and heart or spoken over us or curses that need to be broken. And Lord, we so much want to live according to your truth. Lord, help us to accept ourselves just as you have delightfully and intentionally designed us. Help us to take delight in the things that are unique about us and know that it's for your glory. Help us to grow in understanding about who we are and the purposes you have for me and not only the purposes but the season of life that we're in. Help us to overcome the chronic bat battles with what we call the little sins that hinder our prayers and our inadequacies and our, our places where we're not confident. Help us to see how your love changes the very hardest circumstances of our lives for good and help us to believe your love is constant whether there's cloudy days or, or parking lot poles and to value you help us to gain courage and take risks for you you are worthy in Jesus name thank you